South American soccer an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. Grand finale is upon us, and as we head into a huge double header of World Cup qualification, we attempt to predict what may happen in South America. Plus, weeks of Copa Libertadores and Copa Sudamericana qualification comes to an end. So, we look at how the 2022 group phase is shaping up. All of that coming up in this episode. As ever, I am joined by, first of all, Simon Edwards. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Uh, hopefully, praying for a Colombian miracle, but if not, going to enjoy all of the drama along the way. Yeah, we'll certainly be coming back to that in just a moment. And also with us, as always, Tom Robinson. Hi there, Peter. Hi there, Simon. Good to be back. Uh, getting to that really exciting time on that cusp of the Libertadores and and these big, big games in the in the South American qualifiers. Fortunately. I'm I'm coming from a more positive point of view than than Simon, I think. But uh, you know, I'm sure there's still hope for you yet, Simon. <laughs> well, we certainly hope so as we preview those two games coming up. Um, we'll start, I guess, with with maybe that first round of games, round 17, the penultimate round of fixtures, which kick off um, on the 24th of March on the Thursday. Um, and, and Tom, I'll come to you first because there's one fixture I think that stands out in round 17 that looks like a bit of a, a kingmaker, if you will, going into the final week. And that's Uruguay against Peru. Um, we spoke last time about the improvement, the, the much needed back-to-back wins that Uruguay got that put them back into contention. And in round 17, they host Peru, who are currently in fifth, which looks like a game which if Uruguay were to win, looks like it may actually wrap up the four you know, automatic spot. How do you see that game and the importance of it overall? Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really exciting one, isn't it? Because you honestly could see it going either way and, and that can have massive, massive implications, not just for uh, Uruguay but and Peru, but also the, the teams below them hoping to, to get through. I mean, Pinnacle have got Uruguay as the favourites there, 1.636 to win, 3.170 to draw. And a, a pretty staggering 8.570 for Peru to get the win away in Uruguay, which I think's, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they were that far away from, from Uruguay in terms of quality. Obviously, the home advantage is going to be huge and, and Uruguay are coming off that great momentum of the, the last two games. But I, I think there's there's a real danger that, Uruguay could think, you know what, as long as we don't win this game, uh, don't lose this game, sorry, then, and as long as we don't lose the game to uh, Chile, then that's going to pretty much send us through because two draws means that Colombia can't catch them. It's keeping Peru and Chile at bay, albeit maybe opening the door to, to be leapfrogged by Peru on the final day. But it's, it's going to be a really interesting sort of tactical and mind battle between all of them in terms of deciding right how do we play this do we play it safe and hang on to that lead that we've got already or do we go all out and just make sure that we get that victory in the first game which as you said sends them through and and then 
pushes Peru right down into the to the mix of it all. So I think there's there's so many different ways that you can see how this game's going to pan out. I, I do think that the fact on the, the impetus is going to be on the teams below them to come and look for the win is really going to play into Uruguay's hands, though. I think they can just play on that counter-attack, keep it solid and use the quality they've got up front and and certainly in the midfield with, you know, the likes of Bentancur and Valverde in, in pretty good form for their club sides right now. So it's it's really hard to look past Uruguay not getting at least fifth place. But um, I think they're going to do enough over the two games to, to see them in one of those automatic. But yeah, definitely, I think there's there's banana skins all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there's so many implications when you look at those games and the potential changes that we could see teams from drawing, losing. Certainly Uruguay will look at that home game first up before their final game, which is away to Chile, because they know if they don't get the positive result in that first game, then they've really left themselves with work to do in that second game. So that round 17 match for Uruguay is huge. But coming from it, the Peruvian perspective, Simon, We've seen Peru obviously come make a late surge. They had that awful start to qualifying, looked virtually dead and buried, and now are very much in the mix. How do you see them approaching that big away game? Because they do need a result if they're going to at least put themselves in the contention still for top four. Fifth will still be available, of course. But with a win away from home, they would really put themselves right in the driving seat to go on and take a top four place. How do you see them setting up for that away game? Yeah, I think, I mean, they've got Paraguay at home afterwards. And I think they'll, uh, many fans will be focusing on that second game, I think. Uh, I think, yeah, obviously, as, as we've said, you know, there's not a huge difference between Uruguay and Peru. I think Uruguay on paper are stronger. Um, but Peru have shown great strength, great mental strength. I think we'll probably see a Peru focus on the counter-attack or trying to be solid against Uruguay. A point will be, will be good for them. Uh, given that I think they'll feel confident about being in beating an already eliminated Paraguay. Paraguay haven't been very good. Um, obviously, the, 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 the challenge then is putting pressure on getting that goal against Paraguay, and Paraguay can be very disciplined, very tough. So I think this game against Uruguay will be put very much in the context of, okay, something against Uruguay is a bonus. A draw will be great. A win will be incredible. But I think that result we put in the context of the, the following game against Paraguay, where I think they'll be much more confident. So I personally, I think that they'll probably do something similar, <laughs> look for the similar result as they had against Colombia, where they had kind of one big counterattack. They got the goal and, and that was a huge, huge win that's put them in this really strong position now. Um, I, think, I think in terms of fourth and fifth, now obviously going straight to the World Cup is a great bonus. But I think most of the teams in contention will be very satisfied with a fifth place, given how tight it is there. So I think there isn't going to people aren't going to take the risk of squeezing into the fourth place if it means the potential of missing out on the fifth place. So I think um, I think teams won't unnecessarily risk you know make take a risk in that regard. So for me, I think Uruguay they've started to pick up form at the right time. I think they'll fancy themselves um, against Peru. Um, and I think that home win will be important. Obviously, they'll follow that up with an away game against Chile, which is going to be an interesting one as well. Um, so I think probably Uruguay coming out on the front foot in this one at home to try to essentially or get close to sealing at least the fourth or fifth place in the qualifying. And I think this is their, their chance to kind of put 
put a strong marker down in that regard. And I think Peru will probably be happy with a draw, hope to get a, a goal and maybe snatch a win on the counter. But I think it's so tight that away from home, Peru will probably be quite cautious, as we saw them against Colombia. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make there, Simon, about the teams maybe not wanting to gamble on fourth if they can still have a contention of fifth. And, and with that in mind, Tom, when we're talking about Uruguay being favourites to beat Peru, they were to do that. Do you think we would be looking at it at the four wrapped up? Because Ecuador, we we keep talking about them for the last few months as being one and a half feet there already. They're not mathematically certain. Um, and Ecuador are away to Paraguay, who Simon already mentioned, are out of the running, but they're away. And then on their final game, Ecuador hosting Argentina. But would it be too far-fetched, do you think, to see we're talking about all those teams below picking up points and battling for fourth? Do you think it's a step too far to imagine a, a scenario in which Ecuador could suddenly find themselves out of the mix? Yeah, I, I really can't see Ecuador slipping up at this point because realistically, if if they're going to need probably Peru and Uruguay to be, you know, winning both their games, which we, which we know they can't do. So I think the fact that Uruguay and Peru are playing each other means that Ecuador know that at, at worst, one of those teams could overtake them potentially. But I, I think, yeah, Ecuador are going to fancy their chances of picking something up um, enough to, to get them over the line, even if it is fourth place instead of third place. I'd be very, very surprised to see them finish fifth place. Um, and I think the key thing is, could Chile or Colombia catch Ecuador? And I think, you know, the answer is clearly no. You know, for, for Chile, we could be looking at a completely different scenario after that Brazil game, but away against Brazil, um, it's they were 9.980 to win, um, 5.050 to draw, and point three four zero for Brazil to get the win. So it would be an absolute miracle to see Chile pick something up. And I think that's that's where part of me thinks, is it going to be a little bit of a big build up and then because Chile just don't get anything against Brazil, it just kind of all peters out and you've got that final game of the of which kind of is actually a bit more of a formality especially if there's a draw between uh uruguay and and, and um peru with pa- uh, the paraguay game against peru feeling like a formality for for peru as well um so i think ecuador yeah they don't have anything to worry about at all even if they finish fifth which yeah, I just can't see happening. Basically, I think they they're still going to be confident of of making their way through, and and it's it's all about the teams below them scrapping scrapping it out. And I, th- I think you know, if anything, I give Colombia more of a chance of qualifying than Chile. <laughs> I know it seems absolutely mad given that they can't you know hit a barn door with a banjo at the moment, but it is all duck or no dinner, basically. They've, they've got to get those six points. You can't see them getting anything less than six points, even in the form they're in at the moment. And all they need is, you know, Peru to slip up against Uruguay. And then the pressure's on on that final game, you know, coming up against an obdurate Paraguay side that could really frustrate them and, and be kingmakers in this thing. So I, I, I think the, the fact that 
Colombia's nice run of fixtures, I, I give them more chance of of making a very, very, very unlikely late uh, surge up the t- uh, up the table. But yeah, for for Chile, it's it's going to be a case of that Brazil game just unless they can pull off one of the biggest shocks in South American qualifying in a long time, I think that's just always going to be the nail in their coffin. So it's, it's really interesting. And I've, I, it, in my head, there's all these amazing permutations that could go on. But realistically, after the next game, it could be a case of, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's all panned out like we expected it to. <laughs> Sorry to put the dampers on. So yeah, come on. We're, we're trying to give this the big sell of how dramatic it's going to be. Um, that brings us in nicely, though, Simon, to Colombia, because as Tom laid out there, Colombia maybe actually have a better chance than the league table would currently suggest because of that nice fixture list as they've got in their running. I mean, like round 17, the penultimate game, they're at home to Bolivia, and then they finish up with that away game against Venezuela. So two of the teams below them in the table um, and so a realistic chance of taking six points from, from the last two games, which, as we've seen, makes a massive difference this year when teams put back-to-back wins together in whichever part of this qualifying process shoots them up the table. What's the feeling in Colombia with the national team now? I know it's been a really poor run. People have lost a lot of faith in the, in the national team. And yet, here they are with that possibility. Yeah, I think that, I mean, everyone here kind of feels a little bit, if Colombia were to make it to the World Cup, I think people would feel a bit embarrassed to be there, <laughs> you know, given every, given, you know, they've scored fewer goals than San Marino in the last seven games. Um, yeah, and San Marino aren't really <laughs> contenders. So everyone's a bit embarrassed. Um, obviously, it will come to the day of the games. And I think, I think as well, the timing is great in one way. But also, I think if Colombia had Bolivia at home a couple of weeks, a couple of rounds ago, and were able to put three or four goals past them, it may change, may have changed the, mo- the feeling. And I think it will be important that Colombia have what should be, <laughs> and Pinnacle agree, Pinnacle have Colombia at 1.145, Bolivia at 21.550. So Pinnacle are definitely confident that Colombia should get this win. They have the draw 8.30. Which you know, a nil-nil may not be as unrealistic as perhaps it it should be on paper, given Colombia's goal-scoring form. But I think Colombia get a win against Bolivia at home, probably, hopefully, two, three, four goals. Uh, not to tempt fate, but Bolivia are terrible away from home, um, and they have nothing to play for really. So you know, it it should be a, a confidence-boosting home win, gets everyone back on side. And as long as, and I think I'm quite confident Uruguay can get the win at home. Maybe that's wishful thinking a little bit as well, but I think Uruguay should probably beat Peru at home. Then as you say, the pressure's on for, against Peru. Um, we'll have to see what happens with Paraguay, Ecuador. Uh, Pinnacle have Paraguay at 3.56 at home against Ecuador, Ecuador at 2.460. So Pinnacle think that's going to be a quite a close one, but they do put Ecuador as favourites. So we'll see what kind of form Paraguay go into that final game. For me, <laughs> Colombia have been terrible, but I think they probably should win these last two games. Also, the final game is Venezuela uh, away. That won't be easy. Venezuela, uh, I've got some good players. They can be quite good now. And I remember times when Venezuela weren't very good and Colombia found it difficult to go across the border. You know, Venezuela are going to love to 
you know, <laughs> to scupper Colombia's chances and, and also kind of put a marker down for, for the next year when we can get excited about maybe it's Venezuela's time. Um, <laughs> I think they'll, they'll still want to be putting on a decent display to kind of give some hope moving forward. So it won't be the easiest of games, but I think Colombia should get six points. And then it comes down to Peru bottling it or not against uh, against Paraguay, depending if, if Chile can do something impressive against Brazil. So I think, look, I think Colombia are in a decent position to maybe find themselves one point away from the fifth place in the final round of games. And if that happens, you know, then then who knows what who knows what could happen. Uh, I still think it's unlikely, but I think if Colombia find themselves 90 minutes away from the World Cup, you know, a, a misfiring Peru, uh, a bold, resilient, defiant Paraguay, you know, who knows? We can dream, we can dream, but it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting as long as Colombia get a confidence boosting win at home to Bolivia, uh, and. Uh, Uruguay do the job <laughs> and Brazil do the job. Okay, it's sounding just that only yeah. sounds a bit like an overstatement now. But I, I think there's a decent chance that Colombia could be one point away in the final game and then and then you know who knows. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, while we stay on Colombia, Simon, obviously since January the the English Premier League watching world is very much been alerted to Luis Diaz. Um he will be one of the key men for Colombia. But you spoke there about the problems they've had scoring goals. Um, in these vital two games, who are Colombia looking to to really try and save their World Cup qualification? Yeah, so the manager had a meeting with the FA and he's going to continue. Lorraine is going to finish the World Cup campaign. Um, some were calling for sweeping changes. Again, I think that's a risk in itself. Uh, in the last round of fixtures, I think he called up eight or nine forwards. Uh, and it did kind of feel like he just throwing anything in there to just try and get something to to go over the line. To be honest, <laughs> Jenny Mina, <laughs> he's, he's injured as well. He could have been Colombia's big goal-scoring hope, to be honest. Uh, look, I think it'll be interesting to see who he goes for. You know, Falcao's still there. He's got the experience. He's a, he's a finisher. He could be the one. I mean, Luis Diaz is going to be really interesting, given that he's made such a good start for Colombia, uh, for, for Liverpool and Obviously, the goal, top goal scorer at the last Copa America hasn't scored since, but he is going to be an important outlet. Even someone like Cucho Hernandez, who hasn't been involved, he's got three goals in, I think, three games in England as well. So there's options for Colombia. This is this is never the issue. Sinistera in, in Holland, I think he's got 17 goals this season. It's not like Colombia, you see some other sides in South America who are, who are trying to get the best of what they have. You know, maybe a Paraguay don't have so many options, but they'll try to get the the best from the players that they have and make the most of it. Colombia, in some ways, biggest problem is always that they have 10 options in each position, which doesn't sound like a problem, but it, it, it's, it's that confidence, it's the pressure that's put on these players and it's bringing guys in and taking them out. And So there's obviously people in Colombia calling for sweeping changes, um, but it, it's going to be the decision of the manager. Do you stick with what you have, the guys who taken Colombia to a World Cup before, the likes of Falcao and Cuadrado and maybe James as well? Or do you take a punt <laughs> on someone who's never played before? I think there was a little bit of that against Argentina with some of the substitutes who came on who had very few minutes and it kind of felt like, well, what's the worst that can happen at this stage? Um, bringing on a forward for their first game. But it's difficult. It's difficult. Whether you go for the, the players with, with prestige and history or you just go for a wild card and throw in a Cucho Hernandez and and see what happens. He's doing well in the Premier League. Surely he can do something for Colombia. Luis Moriel has been in good form. 
it's difficult because there's that disconnect between what we see in, in their club form and what we see for the national team because Colombia aren't short of goal scorers. They're just short of goals. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly that notion of failing to duplicate club form to national team form is something which was a massive problem for Argentina for, for a number of years, less so during this qualification process and since obviously the, the last Copa America. We don't really need to talk a great deal about Brazil or Argentina because they've been booked their places in the World Cup for, for now a while. But Tom, we, we've already seen the Argentina preliminary squad announced and I wanted to just get your take on what was an interesting squad, not because main, not because maybe some of the players there are going to get minutes, but because there's been this kind of new storyline within that Argentina selection and some of the process that they're going through. Um, so I just wanted to get your take on some of those new faces that Lionel Scaloni called up. Yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting and promising sign if you're an Argentinian fan of the fact that they're, you know, putting together quite a comprehensive and modern and forward thinking approach. You know, these are words that we would never usually uh, associate with the AFA in years gone by. But the fact they're now sort of scouring Europe for these dual nationality players who, who are sort of tearing it up at youth level and and putting in an early play to, to get their loyalties on side. So I think it's it's a sign of the fortunate situation that they're in having already qualified for once they can afford to do these experiments bring these players into the fold try and create a link between um these players who, who are based in europe some in some cases born in europe and and maybe could could have easily drifted away from them so i, th- I think it's it's good that they're trying all these yeah all these new names all these ways of creating that link that we've seen other countries do so well, you know, the likes of Uruguay. I think in the past, there's been a temptation for Argentina and Brazil to think we've got so many good players here. Why do we need to try and attract these younger guys? But, you know, you look back and there's been some pretty good success with sort of European based players like, like Messi in the past. And if you can unearth the next Messi, then, you know, that's the next 10, 15 years taken care of. So definitely a lot of people getting really, really excited when, when your mother-in-law starts messaging you about, um, Granacho or um, Pass and these other players and asking, Oh, who the hell are these guys? Like, you know, it's kind of, got through to every level of Argentinian society of, of these young, exciting players that have, have really given what's already a great mood inside the Argentina camp, that extra bit of interest. And and it will be fascinating. I mean, like you said, I don't think we're going to see them feature at all in this, in this double header, but it would be pretty funny and pretty special if, if one of them just did come off the bench for a few minutes, uh, tying them to Argentina perhaps um obviously there's there's probably a long way to go and um and we'll have to see but yeah I, th- I think that's that's definitely been a huge storyline and, and one that's going to be really fascinating going forward so I'm, I'm all for uh seeing some new faces and some young prospects some some guys who are definitely going to have to be added to the Golasso 50 uh, by the end of the year I would imagine <laughs> yeah absolutely I mean as you say just uh, astonishing really to see the AFA being that forward thinking and, and having someone 
search for these type of players, but certainly um, a positive step for Argentina. Um, before we move on from there, then we'll, we'll just go over the fixtures that are coming up in those final two rounds on Thursday, the 24th of March. As we already said, we have Uruguay against Peru, Colombia against Bolivia, Brazil against Chile and Paraguay against Ecuador. And then on the Friday, the day after, it's Argentina against Venezuela. And then on the final day of qualification on the Tuesday following, it's Peru against Paraguay, Venezuela against Colombia, Bolivia against Brazil, Chile against Uruguay, and then Ecuador, Argentina. So all still to play for, as I hope we've just laid out for you there. Um, and hopefully, as as Tom put forward as a possible scenario, it won't be all done and dusted on the penultimate round and we will still see some last day drama. But of course, there's also been plenty of other football in South America. Um, before we get on to the different stories, actually, we also had the, the Recopa um, final between the winners of the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana. Um, Simon, before we get into 2022 Libertadores, I guess we should probably just look back onto that final briefly. Um, what were your sort of takeaways from from that always a big event on the South American football calendar? Yeah, it's always it's always interesting to see. Um, obviously, in this in this instance, you know, we had two Brazilian clubs. Uh, one, you know, Palmeiras one two nil at home against Atlético Atlético Paranaense. They, they, they've added the H, which is interesting. Atlético Paranaense, uh, and then two two in the second leg. So quite an, an even game, an interesting game, an open game. Uh, and I think two clubs in South America who have been going about things in the right way in terms of building themselves up. Palmeiras have established themselves now as, as a very well-organized team with a lot of quality, uh, a really interesting setup there, great stadium, you know, a team that uh, doesn't quite have the star power maybe of, of Palme- uh, Flamingo, but have been getting the results and been investing really well and building a really strong side. And with uh, Paranaense, again, we've seen a, a team that's built around quite a progressive model, a really good stadium. And, you know, it seems to me that this is, these are two Brazilian clubs who are kind of ending uh, the the generalization about Brazil, that they have a great deal of talent, but maybe the, the clubs aren't run as well as they could be to kind of get most of our, all of the great talent they have and all the enthusiasm for football. And these are two clubs who have shown that, that yeah, you know, when, when Brazilian clubs get their act together, and we've seen that increasingly, they can, they can really show great performances on the pitch as well as getting everything behind the scenes up and running. So for me, two, an interesting game between two clubs who are, who are kind of leading the way in South America in many ways. And we've seen that from a few Brazilian clubs. Uh, Tom, what about you? What did you think of this game and, and some of the key performers or stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it wasn't a surprise to see the the way it ran out. I mean, it was, it was good as well. One of my fl- favourite players, Danilo, getting a goal there as as well to to yeah stamp what's been a, an incredible sort of couple of years for him he's he's become a real key player and i think he's someone who just continues to go from strength to strength but um yeah it's you know atletico paranaense have shown that they're a really tough side that will give anyone a match and and i think they're going to be an interesting side to watch in the libertadores but yeah the the those top clubs in brazil looking hard to beat really at the moment and and they're going to go into this Libertadores as as clear favorites um maybe with the the one exception of of River 
being that that maybe the one side that can bring bring down the Brazilian dominance that we've seen over the last few years. But yeah, I mean, just just another feather in Palmeiras's bow, really. Yeah, another trophy for Palmeiras then, but they and Atletico Paranaense, the Sudamericana champions, will be in the draw for the group phase coming up for the Libertadores. They'll both be in pot one, actually, along with River, Boca, Flamengo, Nacional, Peñarol and Atletico Minero. Um, but what we're looking to really are those remaining four slots that are still open for the group phase in the Libertadores. And for that reason, for the last five weeks, we've been having the qualifying phases, three rounds of football. And we're now down to, well, just remaining the second leg of that third phase. So we now have a pretty clear idea of who that might be that's joining. Um, at the moment, Fluminense certainly look as though they're going to be one. They won their first leg against Olympia 3-1. Uh, the other team that looked more than likely to get through is Estudiantes de la Plata, as after they won 1-0 away to Everton of Chile. The other game still up in the air. Universidad Católica from Ecuador drew 0-0 with the strongest. And America Minero from Brazil also goalless against Barcelona, of course, last year's semi-finalists. So they're the four ties, four winners will be going into the group phase. Simon, um, what have you made so far of, of those qualifying and from those four ties, who are you looking at really of going into the group phase? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. These are, as you say, some of these are really well balanced. Um, I think the game Barcelona at home to America Minero should be an interesting one. I think Barcelona will fancy their chances in that one. I like Barcelona. They always seem to have make a big impact on these early qualifying rounds, and sometimes they follow that through into a good tournament. So I think Barcelona is a team that I enjoy. Uh, I, at home there in Guayaquil as well, the amazing bright yellow stadium. It's, it's a really one of my favourites in South America. So I, I like Barcelona for that first game against America Minero, uh, the, the second leg at home. I think they probably will be in a good position to go through. The strongest, I mean, the strongest getting a nil-nil draw away from home Obviously, sets them up nicely um, against uh, against uh, Universidad Católica. It should be a really interesting one. Um, I, I think you know, if if the strongest can get a, a nil-nil away draw, I think they'll always fancy their chances at home. So I think the strongest um, look like the strongest in that second leg. Uh, but it will be an interesting one. It'll be a, it'll be a tough game to. <laughs> <laughs> The strongest puns. They're always difficult to, to kind of work out, you know, the whole real show of wit. <laughs> and in the final two, yeah, I mean, obviously, Estudiantes winning away in Chile is, is a great start. Uh, obviously, away goals no longer a factor, which is is, is going to be an interesting part of these these tyres. But I think uh, Estudiantes will obviously fancy their chances. And Fluminense, uh, I saw them against Millonarios. Uh, they... They look like a very professional out, outfit. I say Fluminense, a lot of very experienced players. So I think they should be able to manage uh, the, the second leg, three-one win as you mentioned at home against Olympia. So I think Fluminense aren't really a team that's going to collapse, <laughs> which probably means they will, given that I've said that now. But uh, I think they've got a lot of experience. I think even if they concede, they'll keep their heads. They've got good experienced forwards who probably take the two or three chances they might get there in that second leg as the game opens up. So uh, those are my thoughts on the games, but it, it's going to be quite tight and there's a few which are going to be quite interesting as well. Yeah, absolutely. You wouldn't say necessarily that any of them are done and dusted 
as we mentioned before, there's reason to be to consider certain teams' favourites. Um, Tom, when you look back on those first legs, we've already talked about who, who we'd consider favourites to go through, but when you look at Fluminense, for example, and Estudiantes, the two sides that picked up first leg wins, how do you look at those two sides? Obviously, they haven't completed the job yet, but do you look at them as teams that can go into that Libertadores group phase, for example, and maybe cause an upset? Or do you see them going into, which they would be, they're going into pot four, which would inevitably bring with it a testing group phase against some of the big, biggest and best teams in South America. Do you think a lot of these teams going through qualifying are kind of bit set up to, to fail in a sense? I'm not too sure about that. I, th- I think, you know, certainly Fluminense have, have looked looked very good, a really comfortable win over Millonarios. Um, and especially with that combination up front of Luis Enrique, who I think could be a potential breakout star. He's We saw him last year with that raw power and pace, but I think he's he's added a bit more game intelligence to his play now. And, and, and him and German Cano up front um, are are doing really, really well. I mean, Luis Enrique scored, yeah, one of the one of the best goals of the rounds there. And um and those two just already are, I, I they've got that kind of nice blend of youth and experience. Um, you know, a, a smart finisher in, in Cano and and that sort of unsettling presence that Luis Enrique is always going to give you. So that that combination I think is is give, giving them a little bit extra and and they're a strong side a historic side i mean they're 2.49 to win the second leg against olympia um with olympia being 2.610 so it's not over by uh, any stretch of the imagination and especially that horrendous ep- uh, error by uh, fabio the the fluminense goalkeeper means that it's not a foregone conclusion you know you could you could see olympia getting a 2-0 win potentially and and and, and getting through I, I i do think fluminense should do enough to to get through in that round as well and then as for estudiantes they seem to be on a mission to just eliminate all the chilean sides uh, at, at the moment came from behind to beat out at italiano and under zielinski um one of the maybe more popular russos in the world right now um he's you know he's got them really organized and and they're always going to be a tough team to beat and again with so much pedigree in this tournament over the year over the years, they're going well in the league. Obviously, they had lost to Boca the other night, but other than that, they've been doing very well. But again, this this game is not dead and buried right now. I mean, yes, it was a it was a nice, well taken goal from Matthias Pellegrini, who's who's an interesting prospect. Someone I think is going to be a, another one to keep an eye on this year. Sort of went into Miami somehow under Phil Neville's guidance, didn't kick on, you know, that's, I'm sure that's got us all scratching our heads as to how he's not improved as a player under him, but he's back on loan and, and doing well. But yeah, the likes of De Jorio and, and Sosa, who, who were so good in, in the earlier round means that even though Estudiantes are 1.403 to win um, and Everton are quite a steep 7.750 to win, then this is a game that, you could definitely see a few more twists and turns, even though I'd I'd favour Estudiantes at home to, to win it. So they're both sides who are definitely going to no one no one's going to want to come up against either of those in in the group. And and I think even the you know if you see Barcelona and and one of Catolica and the strongest get through, they're all good sides and they can all contribute. There's no none of these 
teams that, that get through, I think are going to be whipping boys. And it's, I think it is a really strong qualifying uh, round at the moment. And it's, yeah, it's, it's all shaping up to be a really keenly uh, fought um, battle when it gets to the group stages. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a really good point there. It's something which I've said numerous occasions on the commentary during the Liberty stories that I feel like this year, more than most, has been highly competitive when you look at the lineup and you look at the amount of former winners. Here we are talking with the last few teams that are left. We talked about the history that Fluminense have, Olympia with their winning the title three times, Estudiantes winning it four times, Barcelona there, they were semi-finalists only last year. Um, it was always going to be a, a really tricky route to the group phase. Um, when we were talking about this right at the start of that process, Simon, we were making that point that it was going to be really tough for a lot of these teams. We were talking at the time about the Colombian sides, seen as we're talking to you, probably slightly repetitive that we're talking about Colombia's failings in the Libertadores. But again, it's it's been proved to be just a step too far for the Colombian sides during qualification. We've seen Missionarios eliminated by Fluminense. We saw um, Atletico Nacional, another one of the former winners through this process, eliminated by Olympia. Um, do you think that was expected or was that something of a blow to both those clubs and for the Colombian football? Yeah, no, definitely a big blow. And and again, there were times in both of those games when the Colombians were on top. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't as cut and dry as perhaps it looks in the end. And I think in both instances, the common theme will be a lack of mental strength or a lack of discipline or um, a lack of composure. Uh, and that's been kind of a, a theme across Colombian sides in international competitions. Um, I think, you know, we saw with, with Millonarios, they started off very well against uh, Fluminense, got the lead, they looked on top. They got a silly red card, two, two yellow cards in the first 20 minutes. Uh, and then we saw with Nacional, as soon as things started struggling, a bit of adversity, the Paraguayans got in their heads and, and they put them off their game. You know, the second tie, the second leg, obviously on paper, looks very cut and dried, but uh, there were definitely spells where Nacional were in that game. And the thing that kind of undid them at times was, you know, a lack of mental strength, a lack of discipline, you know. And, yeah, and then suddenly you're chasing the game and, the whole tactical tactics go out the window and you're throwing everything at the wall. It was <laughs> grimly familiar from a Colombian perspective. Um, so I think uh, for me, the overwhelming feeling is, is the same as you've seen with Colombia, excited by the talent, excited by the potential, and then frustrated by um, a generalization, which is increasingly difficult to kind of shake off. You don't want to look at a, a whole country and say, the problem is, a lack of discipline or a lack of mental strength. It seems very reductive. But if it keeps happening, you know, there's, there's clearly there's clearly things and, and approaches in Paraguayan, in Uruguayan football, um, in Argentine football, in terms of the way they manage games, in terms of the discipline, in terms of, you know, pushing the, pushing the limits, but knowing, that, knowing how to get in the opposition's head. You know, there were definitely times in that Paraguayan game where Colombian players were furious at times, they had some reason to be upset. But if if you're playing the whole game angry or frustrated or feeling hard done by, you're not going to get your best performances. You're not going to be able to manage difficult situations. And uh, 
the Colombians get letting the emotion get to their heads uh, once again uh, was definitely a factor. So two giant clubs with two squads built to compete in the Libertadores and, and both out from for as a result of mistakes, as a result of a lack of discipline, as a result of key key moments going against them and 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 they're done. So I don't want to bring the the feeling down in the podcast, but uh, yeah, conversation on Colombian football isn't as fun as it could be. Anyway, the cinematic card is where it's at. So that's what I'm looking forward to. (laughs) Well, before we get onto that, um, we obviously spoken previously about who we fancied as the favourites for this year's Libertadores and inevitably we were drawn to, as Tom said already there, the Brazilian big boys plus maybe River and Boca at a push. Um, but as we see the group stage now forming, or we've got a good idea maybe from those qualifiers who's going through, who else, Tom, from the draw to be coming up fairly soon, are you still looking at? Maybe not as potential winners, but who you're looking forward to watching in the group phase? Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting. There's obviously teams that you look forward to or certain players that you look forward to, to watching Um Maybe you know maybe they're not going to be the most attractive, but having big clubs like Corinthians and Boca, who you see their names and you think, well, of course, they'll be one of the favourites, but maybe maybe quite aren't, aren't quite on the same level as some of the clubs you've already mentioned there. So it's going to be good to see them. Corinthians have just got all the old boys back in, which is which is always a good theme in Libertadores football. I think that the ones to to watch out for though that I'm I'm probably most interested. In watching will be um, obviously Independiente del Valle, or one of one of the favourites of this podcast, and uh, anyone who follows South American football, especially after their their good run in the under twenty Libertadores as well. I think Bragantino. It's going to be fan- fantastic to see them and see what they can do after their run to the final of the Sudamericana. And then you know, there's teams like Colón, who are, who I think could really unsettle a few uh, few teams out there they've got the magic of Pulga Rodriguez the the young raw talent of Facundo Farias and 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 just a generally a really good squad I think um and even I think a, a side and a country that have been underperforming for so long now um in in Chilean football, they've done so well domestically, but I think this is the year that maybe Universidad Católica could could do a little bit better. They've they've got the players in place, they've got the young players coming through as well, who are really exciting. And I think if they can get a nice draw, then I think we might see some Chilean representation in in the latter stages. So there's there's always you know teams out there. I'm I'm always gonna be keen to see how Velez do and the Uruguayans as well. But yeah, I, th- I think some of those teams that have impressed in the Sudamericana in years gone by uh, are, are going to be going to be good ones to watch in, in the Libertadores this year as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, finally then, Simon, Deportivo Cali, Bolivar, <laughs> are we going <laughs> to see that? Deportivo Cali, you're at 18th in the Colombian League. Yeah. <laughs> Seven losses so far this season in 10 games. Uh, each other everyone's fighting so that bodes well uh no well let's put Deportivo Cali to the side maybe they'll get a point um Tolima I think more reason to be optimistic they've rotated a lot this season but they continue to get good results Uh, I think they're a team set up to kind of defy the odds a little bit always very good on the counter they've got a good balance good very good centre-backs um Sergio Mosquera also a a goleador a centre-back who scored 
think 13, 14 goals last season, like a lot of free kicks. That's always fun. Uh, so I think Tolima were quite good. Aside from that, I think there's, you know, I think we'll see some, the, while the Venezuelan teams have struggled in the qualifying rounds, I think in the group stage, we've got two better representatives or more competitive representatives. I'm looking forward to seeing the Nigerian slash Beninese striker, uh, Samson Akinola. Um, he's been attracting a lot of interest. I think he's going to move to Europe in the summer. He's a really good striker. Another Buffalo, like Alfredo Morelos, he's known as the Buffalo as well. Uh, really, really good goal scorer, good good pace. Not that tall, but very strong. So he's one I'm looking forward to. And I think Caracas have got a decent side. Um, and I also want to see what Chacon does, 18-year-old at Tachira. He looks like a really, really good winger. So um, as Tom mentioned, you know, there's the big teams who we think can win, but there's the teams who can also uh, pull off some upsets, be competitive, have a couple of breakout stars and you know who knows maybe sneak through into the knockout rounds and uh, and then uh, who knows what can happen from there probably not going to win it but it's it's all part of the fun to kind of see these teams defy the odds and some of these players kind of break out and emerge in the competition before we finish then if you already mentioned Simon the other competition going on at the moment the Copa Sudamericana hasn't had quite as many rounds but there's a lot of teams involved if you have tuned in and caught any of the Sudamericana and wondering why there are no Brazilian and Argentinian sides. Well, they come in in the group phase. They don't have to go through this process, which is split up into the countries. And as a result, there's a lot of games that maybe don't jump off the page and excite us like some of the gut ties in the Libertadores. But um, Tom, what have you made so far from this uh, first phase of the Copa Sudamericana? Well, it's always enjoyable to kind of have that yearly reminder for, for two weeks of of sport boys and um, some other names that you kind of cast to the back of your mind for the rest of the year. Um, Hermanos, Colmeranes or teams like that who I've, I don't think I'd ever heard of before <laughs> this year. So there's always some enjoyable stuff there. But no, there's, um, it's always good to, to, to get see how this tournament gets underway. You've got obviously teams battling out against their their countrymen which is which has always adds a, another dimension to it as well i was interested to see quito i didn't i didn't realize that iago falque ex barcelona juve spurs is now playing um for the colombians at america de cali as well um there's you know I, th- I think another team that I'm quite interested to see how they do, I don't think they'll go too far necessarily, but I think there's a couple of Uruguayans that could do quite nicely. Uh, Wanderers are, are doing really well in, in the local league and they've got a lovely playmaker called uh, Nicolas Quagliata, who's who's definitely destined for, for bigger things. One of their, one of their previous players, uh, Araujo, is, is doing well for Orlando and I could definitely see Quagliata getting a, a move to somewhere in, in MLS. Um, and then also River Plate, um, the Uruguayans version, their sort of life after Matias Areso after he left for Granada. And they've got some really exciting young players as well. Thiago Borbas is uh, the, the next yet number nine off off that production line. So yeah, there, there's, there's some interesting players uh, teams and players there um but i think it's it's one of those ones that's um a bit of a slow burner to begin with and and really sort of kicks off once you get into the the group stages and the the latter stages but no definitely definitely interesting to see some of these early early bouts yeah they'll be vying for those 16 available places plus the the losers from those libertadores ties that we just mentioned they'll be joining then all those 
Brazilian and Argentinian clubs that already guaranteed a place in the group phase. Uh, Simon, likewise, from that first legs that we've seen, we're still waiting on the second legs that we played later this week. Um, has there been any teams that have particularly caught your eye that you think one will be in that group phase, but two may cause some problems? It's worth remembering as well, of course, that the group stage in the Sudamericana is a bit more tricky in a sense from the Liberty stories that are only the winners progressing. Um, so not quite so easy to get through. But who, who have really caught your eye? Well, I mean, you mentioned uh, Hermanos Colmenares. I have to give a shout out to, to my guys because their, strike, their striking pair are both Colombian Colombian rejects. Uh, Anwar Pelayas, who at 21 went back to university uh, and at 24 decided he'd give football another try and went over to Venezuela to play in the second division for a team named after some bloke called Colmenares and his brothers. Um, got promoted and, and then got back and now he's playing continental football. The same with Juan Camilo Zapata, who was playing with me <laughs> three years ago in my Sunday league team. He got snapped up by the AFC Envigado boys and was playing. <laughs> it was paying to play with my Sunday league team. So to see him become one of the best strikers in Venezuela is great. Also a member of the Colmenares family playing in midfield. You'd love to see it as well. Uh, one of the, the cousins of the Colmenares brothers. So that's our proper Sunday league team, basically playing in the, the Copa Libertadores. They're literally named after the guy who owns it. So that's always fun. But in terms of uh, contenders, not to downplay the chances of, of the, the Colmenares boys, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Oh, look, in terms of I mean, Nacional beat, uh, sorry, Medellin, Independiente Medellin beat America de Cali. I think those are two obviously big, powerful traditional clubs uh, who, you know, whoever emerges from that round should be competitive, you'd think, at the group stage at the very least. And and uh, Lejidad drew at home to Junior, and I think Junior as well, given that they've got four or five Colombian internationals. They should be a team that, that does something in this tournament. Uh, that aside, you know, Liverpool, River Plate, two sides that always seem to produce a lot of good young talent. So whoever comes out of that game, um, I think will be quite interesting to see. Um, and you know, those are some of the ones that jumped to mind initially. Delphine as well, perhaps from Ecuador. We've seen them make an impact previously. And, and Jorge Wilstermann as well got a comprehensive 4-0 win. They could do something potentially in the group stage. So as you say, there's only one team going through from the group stage, which has an interesting impact on the way games play out. You basically have to win quite a lot. You can't you can't draw your way through uh, if only one team goes through. So it does make for quite an interesting competitive group stage. And and while these games at the moment seem quite small to us, for the teams involved, these are huge. You know, for the players involved, these are huge. It's six international competitive games uh, in in the group stage. So these teams have spent four months preparing for these massive games against teams from their own country and if they get through then they're playing Brazilian giants and Argentine giants and it's television money so um, while while there's not that many huge huge stars or famous teams um, they're definitely highly competitive nervy anxious important games for those for those involved so it'll be interesting to see how they they play out and then which uh, what these teams can do when they get into the group stage yeah I mean I think that's a really important point that you make about the importance of these clubs, even those that don't have aspirations of going on or winning the tournament. When I was covering the Estudiantes de Merida game against Metropolitanos, both the managers making that exact point that the importance just for the players to try and progress and get the ties against the likes of the Brazilian giants, some of the teams from Argentina, 
not with the idea that they're going to progress through the groups, but just to be on that stage. So this week, the March 15th, 16th, 17th, we'll have the second legs of all those ties. Plus, of course, the Liberty Stories round that we were just talking about. We'll then know exactly which teams are going into the group phases, and then we'll have the draws for both those tournaments coming up. And we'll reconvene, I suppose, before then to talk about the Libertadores and the Sudamericana in a bit more detail, knowing exactly who's going to be wearing the groups and, and having a bit more of an idea, hopefully, of uh, who we might be seeing lifting the trophies come October. Um, but as ever, guys, uh, I think once again, under an hour, we've got through plenty there. Uh, so thanks as ever to you, uh, first of all, Tom. Cheers. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, look forward to, uh, yeah, seeing how all of Simon's ex-teammates do in the Sudamericana. <laughs> and hopefully, uh, you never know, one day we'll, we hopefully will be talking to someone playing in the Sudamericana. Simon, just have to, uh, keep that dream alive for us. I don't think me and Tom are going to be doing it. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it sounds great. Although Zabat has been on the phone and he's caught over some of his Colombian mates to join the team. Uh, so I'll give him a call, mate. You need, a, <laughs> you need a bit of creation in that midfield. Give me a chance. <laughs> Have a word with the brothers. All right, get you on the phone. There you go. Get it done. Um, but thank you. Anyway, in the meantime, stay on, stay doing the podcasting and uh, thank you for this latest episode. Now you're welcome. Thank you. Enjoyed it and looking forward. Fingers crossed for a Colombian miracle. Yes. Uh, those uh, qualifiers to come up to nearer the end of the month after all of that Libert stories and Sudamericana action. Um, thank you as ever for listening and you can find all the latest odds and betting insight on pinnacle.com plus plenty of content on at pinnacle on twitter and pinnacle.betting on instagram with plenty of other sports as well coming your way please gamble responsibly any odds mentioned during this episode were correct at the time of recording so be sure to go and check for the latest 